Sisters, I greet you in the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, this Resurrection Lord's Day morning. Today I want to discuss this aspect of our Lord, that, he, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He's the resurrection, meaning life from the dead, literally meaning to rise. It's Latin for a rising again. And the life, Jesus is literally the embodiment of life. <laughs> what a profound statement. I am the resurrection and the life. The fullness and totality of everything that is living is in the person of Jesus Christ. That means anything outside of him has no life. John testified, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. See, all those things are intimately associated with one another. They're not, those, none of those things are like, are like separate. They're, all inter, they're like all married together. The way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to God apart from Christ. He is the Christ is the pinnacle of reality as it actually is. There's absolutely nothing alive apart from Jesus. Disassociation with Jesus is only death. Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. I am he that liveth. Today, today Jesus Christ lives. Quite unlike every other God that people serve. Every other false God served by men is either dead and still in the tomb or is not declared to be living. They're not declared to be living. God is the only God that is declared to be the living God. This is not declared of any other. Jesus is the only one who died and now has an empty tomb. He's the only one now. The only one. The prince of life who died. But he did not stay dead. Look, he's alive forevermore. Death could not hold him. And it can't ever again. He's alive forevermore. And he has the keys of hell and death. He has authority over hell and death. He is superior to death. He overcame death. He defeated death. And one day death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire. It has no power over him. And it has absolutely no power to anyone who dwells in him either. See that this is the point of salvation here. Jesus said... I am the resurrection and the life. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Do you believe this? He spoke concerning himself. He said, this is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. What a promise. Now it, it is appointed of a man wants to die though. But... But one day, see, one day this body's going to die. But while everybody dies, not everyone truly lives. 
Just because you have life in the body temporarily, see, one day that life is, will, will pass. It's appointed of a man wants to die. Because this is corrupt. Flesh and blood can't enter the kingdom of heaven. It's corrupt. But spiritually, the condition of mankind in Adam's race is worse than that. It's worse than it's appointed of a man wants to die. You see, the the whole human race is spiritually dead by nature. It's alienated from God. There is nothing about Adam's race that's commendable before God. The carnal mind is even enmity with God. It's not subject to the law of God, and it can't be. See, this, this spiritually dead condition... And Adam's race is headed only one place. And this is the second death. Adam's race is headed towards the second death. At the end of this world, whoever isn't alive unto God will be forever separated from him and cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Jesus is the only one who can cause a person, cause a person to be alive unto God. Jesus said, for as the father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, that giveth them life. Even so, the son quickeneth whom he will. And he's willing. He's willing to quicken all those who come to him. And this, brothers and sisters, all hinges on this fact that Jesus is risen from the dead. The fact that he can impart life to sinful men. And forgive their sins. See, all of this hinges on the fact that he is risen from the dead. The reality that Christ rose from the dead is proof that we also shall rise from the dead. He's the the first fruits of them that slept. It proves that there will be a judgment. Now listen up. A, A perfect man lived on earth. He came down as a man. He lived on the earth perfectly. He was without sin. Jesus was without sin. He never sinned. And when he died, he he took up his life again. God raised him from the dead. This Jesus whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Because the wages of sin is death, but Jesus was without sin. Death couldn't hold him. God raised Jesus to life because death couldn't hold him. Because of Adam's one transgression, sin reigned unto death in the human race, seeing as the wages of sin is death. But just as death came by one man, so also by this man, Jesus Christ, came the resurrection of the dead. You see? And see, in Adam, all die. Adam, see, Adam's race is condemned already. They're plunged in death. But in Christ, all are made alive. There's life. There's responsiveness to God. So you see, there's really only, in the grand scheme of things, there's really only two men. There's Adam, and there's Christ. And, in other words, there's really only two destinations. See, there's, these two men are bringing humanity to two different places here. It's the difference between God's right hand and God's left hand. 
It's the difference between the sheep and the goats. It's the difference between the spirit and the flesh. It's the difference between the new man and the old man. There's two destinations. There's life. There's death. There's a time coming when all those in the grave will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. That's a certain thing. There's no middle ground. Either you're going to spend eternity forever and ever in the presence of God. Or you're going to spend eternity forever and ever separated from a God of peace and beauty and love and everything that you consider good. See, there's no middle ground. So what you do with your time on this earth is really, uh, it's really a matter of life and death. The things that you give your attention to, that you set your affection on, it's a matter of life and death. And why would it be right for a righteous and holy God to have people separated him forever and ever? Because Jesus laid down his life and he rose from the dead. That's why. Because we've been given an opportunity. We've been afforded. Today's the day of salvation. And God has given mankind an opportunity to know him and to be with him. Adam's race is dead to God. A person who is dead in the body is separated from their body. Their body then is is useless and unresponsive to the the environment. A, a, A person who's dead in the body could be subject to all kinds of stimulus from the world and they're not going to feel it because that person is completely unresponsive to any kind of stimuli. A physically dead person is unresponsive to the natural environment, but a spiritually dead person is someone who is altogether unresponsive to God. And that's a big problem because God's our creator. God created us to serve him. So that's a pretty big problem if mankind is unresponsive to God. When God speaks, if man doesn't respond, that's a huge problem. Dead in trespasses and sins. Alienated from the God who made them. A spiritually dead person is unresponsive. They don't seek him. They aren't aware of him. They go about living their lives as if he doesn't even exist. Now, we don't entertain dead people, do we, brethren? When somebody dies, we don't prop them up in the house and serve them coffee and talk to them. We bury them. And and if we do remember them, we don't remember them dead. We remember their time when they were alive, when they were responsive. Well, brethren, if, if, if we treat the dead like that, God doesn't entertain dead people either. He can't. See, this is, this is against nature. It's against nature for him to do that. God's righteous and holy. Deadness is something that must be remedied, but deadness can be remedied. Deadness is remedied by life. And dead gods can't give life. If you serve a God that's dead, how can it, pray tell, how can it make you alive? See, only someone alive can give life. Someone alive must be able to share their life in order to revive that which is dead. And I want to declare that Jesus is the only one capable of this. He is the life. 
Physical life must come from Jesus. And of course, our life towards God must also come from Jesus. Does anybody know of a person or a group of persons who have created life from non-life? Does anyone know of a person who has brought who, who, who has, has brought somebody back from the dead? Someone who was alive and knows the procedure for it or can repeat it. See, this has never been done. With all the technology and, and supposed knowledge and wisdom that men have heaped up to themselves like the Tower of Babel towards the heavens, yet they cannot make a single cell alive. They can't figure out how to make the smallest of creatures, like a, like a flea. Just make, just make a flea. See, there's, there's nothing that men can do to remedy death. There's no medical procedure that can bring back a person from the dead. And people who say they died and came back, see, they never actually died. They, they, they entered into some sort of subconscious state. But they never actually, they might have been at the very brink of death. But I promise you, brethren, nobody has ever died and come back from the dead except for what Jesus did. No man has the keys to death except for Jesus. See, he has the keys to death and hell. And if mankind cannot remedy physical death, how do they possibly think that they will remedy spiritual death? The truth is spiritual life cannot come from a program or proceed from a routine. This ought to be obvious. If nobody can create the inferior physical life or raise the dead shell of a man with a formula or a procedure, why would he attempt to create a superior spiritual life in the same fashion? Just repeat after, repeat these things, say this prayer and repeat these things after me. Do this one, two, three step. The Buddhists have like that, that the eightfold path that you follow, supposed to give you life. See, there's, there's a lot of people today teaching what we need for spirituality that doesn't include Jesus. <clears throat> you know, Jesus himself spoke of a church like this, the church in Sardis. In Revelation 3, they had a name among men that they were alive. That that was their reputation in the community, that this was a living church. But Jesus said that they were dead. Which that proves that fallen men don't understand what it means to be alive unto God. When they consider life, when fallen man considers life, They only think of life as it pertains to this world, but that's not the point of living. Just as the things on earth have to be created, the new man must be created as well. If if life on this earth was created by God, then any life that's there that's responsive to God must be also created by him as well. See, we, we are his workmanship. In Christ Jesus. It's it's not a routine that brings life. It's a new creation. It's a new new kind of person that God creates. And he creates this through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the life and we are begotten again unto a lively hope 
by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which hath according to his abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because Jesus has been raised, we have hope. That's a good thing. See, he brings forth life from death. He's the one who makes brings forth life from death and heals all of our infirmities. He's the physician. So it says that God, God heals all of our infirmities through him. And the healing's complete. It's a perfect. This is a perfect healing. There's not a partiality or incompleteness to the healing. There's not like any lingering effects from this type of transition from life to death. You're not like somewhat alive to God, but you still, you still kind of live in the flesh. It's, it's, it isn't this way. It, you're a completely different person with different desires. See, Jesus, when he was here, he opened the eyes of a man who was born blind. The man wasn't born with the capacity to see But Jesus gave him the capacity. He made something new in him that had the capacity to see. There was a man with with a withered hand. Jesus said, stretch forth your hand. The second he went to stretch it forth, Jesus restored it just like the other. He gave him a capacity to take hold of things that he didn't have before. And see, there's really no condition that a person inside of a person... That Jesus can't address. He can ad- Jesus can address any kind of condition. Amen. He's able to save to the uttermost. See the key. The key is to getting to him. That's the key. The key is beating a path to Jesus. Whatever you need to do. There was a woman. She spent her entire livelihood. Had an issue of blood. She had to crawl through a crowd. Just to touch the hem of his garment. There were several other people that had to take apart a roof. They actually climbed on the roof of this building, tore the roof apart, and lowered their friend down to get to him because they couldn't get in the front door. And subsequently, they were both healed too. He was able to heal those with infirmities. He took the infirmity on himself, see. Jesus actually took, when he healed infirmity, he took it upon himself. The life that others would receive would be his life. And the infirmity that Jesus took on himself was not able to affect him, see, because he was without sin. Your physical health is important in the sense that it enables you to do things that are necessary while on this earth. But I would have to argue that your spiritual health is even more important. Your association with God, that is the overriding factor. See, if you aren't living right before God, it doesn't really make any difference how healthy you are in your body. In fact, in certain circumstances, the body may end up sick because of our attention to spiritual matters. There, there are people that have died for their witness. They've been beheaded. Now, you can't really get any more infirmed in the body than being beheaded for your witness in Christ Jesus. Or there was Epaphroditus, remember? Remember Epaphroditus? He was sick nigh unto death because of, because of his service, see? 
to the saint. Because of the work of the ministry, he was sick, nigh unto death, see. But he was, he was doing just fine in the spirit, brethren. But see, this is how life works. Life is reciprocal. God says it, and you believe it. God promises, and you hope. God commands, and you obey. God speaks, and you listen. These aren't like goals. This is how life is. This is how life re- life is reciprocal. This is how it is. If a person doesn't do this, it's because they're not alive unto God. That's why God supplies, and you ask for it. You see the you see what you need, and you ask for it. See if there's a it's a fellowship. There's a fellowship in this. Life is reciprocal, and all of this is possible for you because of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. He laid down his life and he took it up again. And if you go to him, he has life in himself and the power and authority to keep you in good spiritual health. Everything about Jesus' life, his, his word, he said, the words I speak, they're spirit and life. His words are life. We, we live by every word of God. His words satisfy. They're able to give strength to the one who believes them. Jesus' words are absolutely unique to himself. And they can't be separated from his person. If Jesus is life, then his words are life. They are spirit and life. Jesus' words must be understood, but more importantly, they must be believed. And they cannot be understood until they are believed. If Jesus says something and you don't understand it, you see, we by faith, we believe it. We, we receive what Jesus says because he's given us life, see. Amen. Jesus himself is the power that transitions a person from death to life, and he is that life. Jesus, therefore, is not only responsible for raising us to walk in newness of life, but sustaining us once we are raised. If Jesus is the life, then a person, even after conversion, only has as much life as they have Jesus in them. I want to be emphatic about this, because life isn't just something that's created and then doesn't need sustaining. Let's consider that reality. Jesus Jesus brings forth life, And Jesus sustains life because he is the life. Jesus said elsewhere, he said, I am the bread of life. He said, whosoever comes to him will not hunger and whosoever believes on him will never thirst. See, this is sustaining life. Consider how just consider what we do every day. We eat. Everybody eats. Everybody who's living eats. Bread is grown from a seed. When the time is right, it's harvested, it's ground in the flour, it's mixed and baked. Jesus came down to earth like a seed of wheat. He grew in wisdom and stature. He basked in the light of the Father. He lived out the ultimate expression of God contained in the man. Then when the time was right, he was plucked and offered up. He was ground to powder by the millstone of God's wrath. 
and experience the oven of affliction. See, everything that is in the making of bread is a reality of what happened to the Son. The one who is the life was made a curse. The one who said, I am the life, was made to be sin. And this bread we partake of is life. See, there's there's strengthening and sustaining power in this provision of Christ's body and blood. This life-giving power is realized when Jesus is partaken of. In fact, Jesus himself said that unless a person eats his body and drinks his blood, there's no life in them. See, Jesus must be imbibed. He must be allowed to enter into our spiritual bowels, the deepest parts of our soul. See, that Jesus will not sustain life by like shallow, fleeting, surface thoughts. Jesus sustains life when he enters into the deepest part of our person. As we eat bread, we, we bite it, we chew it, we taste it, we swallow it. It becomes a part of us. As we eat the living bread of Christ, we not only accept it and believe it and keep it, but we contemplate it. We dwell on these things. We meditate. We fill our minds with it. We sat, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Become saturated in the word of God. Christianity is not just like a repeat after me. It's not about swearing an oath or holding to an ideology. There's a contemplation. There's an, there's an understanding involved. There's a, as we imbibe the truth, it becomes a part of us. It become, personally, it becomes personal. It becomes intimate. It's, it's more intimate than a husband and a wife. Life must not only be given, it must be sustained. And this is what I was saying. Why do we eat food? Why did God create every single living being on this earth to, by necessity, have to take in resources outside of themselves in order to survive? God has never made anything living that didn't need to eat and drink to be sustained. There is no such thing as a self-sustaining and perpetual life on this, in this world, in creation. There's no example of that. Even the plants that grow in your dirt, they make their own food in themselves, but they must be watered and the sun must shine upon them. They've, they've got to filter nutrients out of the soil. They need things outside of itself in order to live. They need the sun. And now if these things are evident in creation and true in the sustaining of the physical body and the physical creation, then how much more are they true for the spiritual creation, for the new man? See, they're this, it's this way in creation because it's that way there. It's this way here on, on this, in this world because it's that way there. That's why God made things this way. All the true life that a believer has comes from Christ and must continually come from him. Jesus taught his disciples to pray this. He said, give us this day our daily bread. He didn't say, 
give us this day our one-time bread for the rest of our life. He didn't say, give us this week our weekly bread. He didn't say, give us this month our monthly bread. Well, that's how some people feed on the things of God. Here, here a little, there a little. See, that's not, this has to be a daily thing. Spiritual life is a day, it's a moment by moment. It's minute by minute. I need thee every hour was a, is a, is a, is a hymn that we sing. I need thee every hour or moment by moment. That's another hymn that we sing. See, those hymn writers, they saw this truth that we need him moment by moment. This living bread contains a quality that is completely void in every other thing on the earth. It, it, ne- it never gets old. It never gets boring. It never gets stale. It's the bread that's come down from heaven. You know, there's things in this world that if you were to, like, just take your favorite food, for example, and you eat your favorite food every single day, every single day, after a while, you'd be thinking of a new favorite. Just like Israel, they, 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 they loathed the, what they had every single day. But see, that's not what it's like in Christ. You can't have too much of Christ. You can't get sick. You can't get sick of, of, of imbibing the bread that's come down from heaven. It's completely satisfies and it continues to satisfy because we've been made a new creation. See, there's there in the in the world there's a there are things that pose <clears throat> they pose as this substance this it, it, they pose as as this bread it's like a counterfeit bread it's like a stale bread it does it doesn't nourish you it doesn't satisfy well they people say that it's it's you know spiritual junk food <clears throat> religious fads and programs that come and go but they're they're incapable of sustaining and truly satisfying the people. See, can't candy is satisfying for your flesh, but there's absolutely no nutritional value to it at all. Beware of any kind of church program that caters to the flesh that doesn't have Christ in it. We partake of him on a daily basis. The human body needs things in order to be sustained. The things that are found in the food are broken down into different parts. There's fats and carbohydrates and vitamins and amino acids and nutrients. And all of these things are found in the food, but in their, when they're imbibed, they're kind of broken down. And, and each thing about that food ministers a certain thing of need to the body. And the same thing is true with the body of Christ. The Spirit has deposited in the members things that are essential for your growth in Christ. Jesus is the life seat and he's present in every member. The sum total of all of the spiritual nutrients that are in the body of Christ are found in Christ himself, see, who is the life. For instance, Brother Given, he ministers some wonderful things to me that no one else in this assembly ever has. But the same thing's true for Sister Anita, and the same thing's true for Sister June and Brother David and Sister Heather. But when they, when they're, when, see, when they all come together, they, 
they, they form this, this satisfying feast of the things of God. If you ever find yourself in a constant backsliding and spiritual weakness and you've been in the faith for some time, the problem is that you're probably not getting enough to eat. And God has set the table and he's called us come and dine. Now I know there's a spiritual famine today, but there's corn in Egypt. There's places where the saints are, although they're scattered. There's places, there's places out there where God set the table. And when the table's set, that's the time to eat. Now come wash up, come wash up, come in from outside and come and get something to eat. When you're coming to the assembly, it's time to listen up and it's time to give. We tell our kids, this is all, if this, this is all you're eating, if you, if you don't eat it, well then you'll go to bed hungry. Well, if you don't eat what God has to offer, you can go away hungry too. And after a while, if you don't eat, you'll begin to lose your appetite. See, the, the remedy is to imbibe Christ. Imbibe him. Go to where the food is. Jesus is the staple food. And here's a bit of good news that no, no external influence can end this life. Satan can't just take this life from you. No one can stop giving life. He has the authority to make alive whosoever he wills. Jesus can give life to those who are dead in trespasses and sins at will, and there is no situation or force that can hinder his life-giving power, not even to death. He is the living one, and he has the keys of death. Jesus not only has the power to make men alive unto God, but he has been granted authority by the Father to do so. Just as Jesus had the power to raise Lazarus as he willed on the earth, he has the power to raise dead men to walk in newness of life today. If you were made alive, it's because Jesus willed it to be so. It wasn't of your own will. It wasn't of your own accord. It's because Jesus said, give him life. And if he can make you alive, he can make others alive too. And this should change the way that we pray sometimes. If it, if it is his to give, you can certainly ask him to give it to your brethren who need. That's what it says. It says, if anybody sees another brother or sister sin a sin, that's not unto death, he should pray. And he'll give him life. He'll give him life for the one that sinned a sin that's not unto death. Now, brethren... If any of you see me sin a sin that's not on the death, that means you see me sinning and I didn't die, please pray for me that the Lord would give me life. I certainly pray for all of you. Jesus always does the will of the Father, so you can be sure if Jesus has willed it, then God has certainly willed it. Who then shall be able to pluck us who are alive out of his hand? It's assurance. His life then actually empowers a person to live for God. The scriptures declare he is the true vine, the only one who can give real power and sustenance. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. See, we're talking about Jesus, who is the life. Well, the last time I checked, nothing means nothing. Vine. Vines make branches, branches bear fruit. Branches can't bear fruit without the vine, and you can't do anything that God considers worthwhile without Christ. 
See, with, without him, a person is powerless and unable to do what God expects. They are unable to be. Without Christ, you are unable to be what God has intended you to be. And God has intended humanity to inherit the world to come. We are intended to be sober, to be thankful in every circumstance, to be filled with the Spirit, to be anxious for nothing. See, the, like I said, these aren't goals. The, these, this, is, this is how the people of God that have eternal life are. Be anxious for nothing. Be not dismayed. Be not afraid. Be strong and of good courage. Be thou faithful unto death. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. God has given everything that you need to be those things and to do those things. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? What does it make any difference if you tell somebody, be warm and filled? You don't give them the things that they need to be warm and filled. So when God says, be strong and of good courage, what, what would that profit if he said that to mankind and he didn't give them the things that they need to be of strong and of good courage? See? God is not unrighteous. He's given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The life of Christ causes us to be productive in doing all that the Lord has required of us. We're able to bring forth fruit unto God and we can actually become vessels that glorify God. Everything that pertains to life and godliness, everything, all this access... It all hinges on this very thing that Christ rose again. See, if Christ is not risen, then our faith is is in vain. And we are still in our sins. But you see, he has risen. The simple fact that you have a clean conscience testifies. That's proof Christ has risen. I leave you with a promise. I beheld... The same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High and the, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. We may encounter opposition, brethren, and we're called to lay down our lives for the Lord even as he laid down his life for us. But when the ancient of days comes, everything will change. For we shall have life in its fullness. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then we also shall appear with him in glory. I'll open for your comments now, brethren. Brother Robert. You mentioned this, that um, uh, no person that's ever died has not seen corruption, but except Jesus. He's the only one. He came back from the dead. And so this is the thing, you know, this, we have this old man 
that this body, we have this body, it's going to see corruption if we if we die and they put us in the ground. I mean, you don't keep dead bodies around for very long until you're actually provoked to put it in the ground. You know, this is um, this is just the way things are. And so, but see, this old man, he he's he's corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And 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 when you get close to Christ, it the old man, it's almost like he he's like stinks. You know, he just you don't want to listen to him anymore. You don't want to do the things. You can actually identify the traits of the old man, and and you can see how he he's manipulated you in the past. If you stay with Christ, he'll teach your hands to make war against the things that you used to do. And that, that I'm thankful for that. Amen. Brother Gibbons. Yes, I like it. it we have life and have it more abundantly. Yes. Amen. It's exponential. Amen. It doesn't have a max. And Amen. It's, uh, mm -hmm. The longer you live, the more you become aware of the absolute need for abundant life. Amen. Amen. And sometimes the enemy comes in like a flood. But more abundant life will neutralize that. Amen. Mm -hmm. Sister Heather. Um, I like how you brought out that God um, has nothing to do with the dead. And it reminded me of the verse in Matthew 8 where Jesus said to one of his disciples, Follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Yeah. And I you know Jesus came to give life and that's what he, everything he did was about life mm -hmm. you know, and, and you made that point very clear and making that distinction I receive it brother thank you amen amen to compare living under the law Paul said when the commandment came yeah I died yeah but with the commandment for life, he's commanded life. Mm -hmm. Then we become alive and sensitive to God and aware of the surrounding mm -hmm. and aware of the devil and restraints that is on him, aware of what we can do and can't do. Life is wonderful. Amen. Amen. Now Luke 20, 38. For he is not a God of the dead, yeah. but of the living. Amen. Amen. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, condemnation but is passed from death into life. Amen. Even though we, our physical bodies may still die, we're not in the category of the dead anymore. Amen. Amen. We're alive unto God. Mm -hmm. We can hear Him and we can follow Him and we can serve Him. It, uh, his life living in us, His life sustaining us, giving us everything we need. Mm -hmm. But if, if that's not the condition of having His life in us, then we're dead and facing condemnation and judgment. 
Now, when we speak about these things, it, it, we're stirred up. This, this stirs, this excites us. This excites us spiritually. Our heart is involved in these things. And you'll find that you're drawn to people that think like this and want these things. And you seek their best interest. And, and, you, and you seek to, to build them up. And, and you look forward to the time that you meet with them. You love them. See, that's evidence that you've passed from death to life. Amen. Thank you, brethren.